Welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. It's no secret that I have a weakness for nature sounds. Birds, frogs, pebbles rolling across a riverbed, rolling thunder, falling water, raindrops dripping on a flat stone. So one of the things that I'm always on the lookout for are sources of well-recorded natural sounds. I have an app on my phone called Soundscapes, which features work from a variety of sound artists, including my guest for this week's episode. His name is Jim Metzner. He's a recordist, a musician. Check out his album on Amazon called You Are Here. A novelist and a radio producer, among other things. He's also the host of Pulse of the Planet, which has been on the air since 1988. More than anything, Jim's a storyteller. I caught up with him via Zoom at his home in New York's Hudson Valley, but he immediately transported me to Bahia in Brazil by telling me a story about an encounter he had with a young woman and her talking parrot. This was one of those things that was entirely serendipitous, but I was ready for anything. We stopped off at a place along this road. Young women, one of them had a parrot, talking parrot. And this moment is an exchange between, or a little conversation between this parrot and young girl. I've listened to this thing hundreds of times, and each time I listen to it, it brings a smile to my face. So I don't know if this is objective art or just something that continually tickles my funny bone, but it's just something about it intrinsically cracks you up. It's a wonderful piece of tape. Okay, that is beyond fantastic. What a great piece of tape. So, Jim, I'm trying to talk as I'm smiling here, having listened to that. You're kind of multifaceted, and by that I mean that you are so much more than just a recordist. So how would you describe yourself? Every morning I try to take a moment and sit very quietly. And I have to tell you, at a moment like that, or even a moment like this moment when we're sharing a conversation, all those gems tend to get in the way. <laughs> so if, if I'm going to be honest with myself in a moment of just being quiet, which can, for many people, be disquieting. You know, a lot of people don't like being quiet, facing the unknown, uh, facing the question, uh, the fact that maybe I don't know who I am so much. It can be tremendously exciting to realize that you don't know who you are, <laughs> really, and at the same time, a little um, uncomfortable. So that's maybe not the answer that you wanted to hear, but I'm still trying to find out anybody is uh, who has the opportunity to really spend some time with themselves, to realize there's still a lot about us, uh, each of us, that we, uh, we don't know, and it's worth exploring. Okay, you've been doing this work of yours for a long time. I mean, Pulse of the Planet alone has been on the air for 33 years, and you produced music and location sound long before that. So what got you into sound recording? I hope the metaphor hasn't been over overused. It comes back to listening. That's the thread. So maybe if there's a thread that's running through this interview, it's that. The magic 
of listening is that, well, listening connects us to the magical, to the unknown. You go out, first time I went out recording was a truly magical experience in the sense that all of a sudden, these sounds started appearing around me as if when I had pushed the button on the recorder, it had caused them to appear. <laughs> the bird had been singing before, but I hadn't been paying attention to it. Maybe these sounds that we are privileged to hear, they're there for all sentient beings, but this sentient being's antenna happened to pick up on it. I received the signal and I recorded it. I was gifted a unique moment in time. So not only was the bird singing, but somebody was going by on a bicycle, a horn tooted. And it was a stereo recording. And so it had the sense of depth and the sense of, as you listen back to it with earphones, that, my golly, we are standing in the midst of a, an arena, a goldfish bowl of, of sounds that's surrounding us continuously. This orchestra is playing. What is it that Lord Byron said? The, everything is music if we had the ears to hear it. Sounds are a way that we are reminded that we're part of the natural world. We share this sort of semi-permeable membrane of, of sound. We give sound. We listen, we listen to it. Sound has the power, the possibility of, I think, of transforming us. It can um, be a reminder that there are sounds that feed us, like food. Part of my work as a sound recordist over the years has been uh, on a quest of listening. And it's taken me to many places, took me to Brazil, taken me all over the world, where these gifts, you've been gifted a sound. And then, like any true gift, you are responsible for it. And so one's work then becomes, well, all these tremendous gifts, how can I share them? Because everybody has this um, compulsion, a human need to share what we've received. And sometimes, some sounds, maybe not every time you turn on the recorder, but you're gifted with a moment that's like that, and my golly, you want to share it. You know, we started this program with your Parrot Girl tape, which you recorded in Bahia in Brazil. Can you tell us about that trip and what it meant to you? I think it was kind of a turning point, wasn't it? Well, I was in Brazil in 75. Brazilian tourist agencies to put together a trip where I got Pan Am to fly me down there. Got the Brazilian government and Bahia Tursa to pay my way for the trip. So anyway, there I was in the age of 20. I had a Nakamichi 550 which had eight batteries in it. It was huge. In today's world, it would be like carrying around a big typewriter, something that heavy. I had a, a three-microphone system because you could, in those days, the Nakamichi had a, a left, a right, and a center, so you could have three microphones in it. And I, I went around with this three-microphone system. I probably looked like the man from Mars. And I had adventures in Brazil, which were unprecedented, I think, for me and anybody else. No one in, had ever recorded an album like this. But I just recorded the sounds and the, and the street music of, of Brazil. It was nothing done in the studio. It was six weeks of nonstop recording, some of the best work I've ever done in my life. And I gave you one recording of it from the album. It's an example of, you know, this world of sound that's waiting to be discovered. You couldn't couldn't recreate that moment. I couldn't recreate that moment. The first thing that I recorded in Brazil, the first thing I went up to, uh, I, I, I was attracted to events. So there was an event called the 
festival of good death in Cachoeira, little town above uh, above uh, in in Bahia above um, Salvador. So I get there, and the ceremony is just ending uh, in this church, and I'm rolling. And then what follows was one of those things that, as you listen to it, it you find a hard time believing that it actually happened. You say, "Oh, he must have mixed that." I followed this crowd out into the the. Uh, well, before I follow them out, you hear the organist rehearsing something with the choir master, and then you go out into the street and you're following the crowd, and you hear the crowd, and then all of a sudden you hear. What was that? And then the second letter, whoa! And then bells, and then bells and these fireworks, skyrockets, bells and skyrockets, and then there's a pause, and then there's a band. So it's bells and fireworks and a marching band, everything, all together, syncopated. And the way it happens, and the way it seems to be orchestrated by you know the higher powers. I remember thinking, you know, holy mackerel. Actually, mackerel wasn't the word that came out of my mouth, but you can substitute it with the expletive of your choice. If this is the first 10 minutes I'm recording, what's the next, you know, six weeks going to be like? So that recording is the first recording on the album. And it still blows my mind to think that boy, I was there to witness something like that going down. And that was the first time in my life where I knew that I was doing the right thing in my bones. Nobody could take that away from me. This, I, and, you know, I just knew it. You just know it. Whenever I chat with a sound recordist, I always ask one specific question. If someone approached you and told you that they'd like to get into sound recording, what advice would you give them to help them get started? Well, in the practical mode, realize that what you're doing is important. You're making an impression in the medium of sound of something that no other medium can quite get to. Maybe it won't get quite as close. Maybe it'll be intimidated by the camera, but you are privy to an impression that no one else is. Therefore, it's important. Maybe it's an oral history. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's a tone of voice, a, a dialect. Maybe it's the sound of uh, the, from my own career, the cable cars in San Francisco at a certain time, which don't sound like that anymore because they totally revamped them. Maybe it's the sound of the Boston Globe's uh, newsroom, where this ancient artifact known as a typewriter was all over the place. They don't have typewriters anymore. It's a different sound. What you are recording becomes important. So one of the first things I would say is, is to do it for yourself first and foremost. This is something for you. It's feeding you. But it's also for the rest of us. So because it's important, you are starting an archive. Don't take that lightly. Be responsible for it. Take notes. But it validates your efforts in, in keeping these records. And part of what made it viable was that I had all these records and they were searchable. So it's important. Keep records of it. Make as good a recording as you possibly can. Get close to the action. Don't talk over the sound. Or if you do talk before and after, get out of the way. Let the sound speak for itself. And then if somebody there knows more about what that sound is than you do, which whatever, whoever that might be, Talk to them. It's a scientist or a, an indigenous person, somebody who knows whatever that phenomenon is, knows more than you. Listen to them. Have a conversation. That's all incredible, valuable stuff. Jim, as you know, this podcast is called The Natural Curiosity Project. 
because I believe that curiosity is sort of our sixth sense, but that we don't always use it as effectively or as often as we should. Does curiosity play a role in what you do? And if so, how? What does curiosity represent? What's behind it? What's the movement? It's really about being open and, and about being wanting to be open, about being tremendously engaged. Why are you tremendously engaged? What is it about that draws you in, this fundamental compulsion to know why, what's behind things, what's really going on? By itself, just as a phenomenon, curiosity is not enough. We are not only curious beings, but we are responsible beings. The most curious human being I ever heard tell of is um, Leonardo da Vinci, a man who was relentlessly <laughs> curious. He was curious about everything, about what is that bird flying? And why I was just reading it in his notebooks the other day. Why is there a fissure in that arc? But he didn't stop there with just that. He took it further. That was the beginning, the doe, the sounding note of the octave. But he took it all the way through to the end of the octave. He followed with re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do until he reached the end of the octave. And he found out. He actually did a whole dissertation on why birds fly. It wasn't just, quote-unquote, idle curiosity. You see, uh, I'm cursed with being an eclectic person, jack-of-all-trades, uh, master of maybe some uh, or, or none, depending how humble I might be at the moment. <laughs> but like, there's so many things. I mean, I look around my room. I've got a drawing table over there. I've got a microscope over there. Upstairs, I'm, I'm painting on bark. It's all this stuff. I'm an eclectic guy. Is that curiosity? Yes. But if I were to become a master like Leonardo, and believe me, I, I, I hesitate to even mention myself in the same breath as somebody like him, he had follow through so that his curiosity was the starting point, but he investigated, he experimented. He, he found out he, he wanted to know about anatomy. That wasn't just curiosity. He got the bodies and he opened them up and he explored and he drew pictures. He became a scientist who had to know why and experimented until he got his own verification that this was why. And if nobody else could tell him, he found out by himself, this is why. And maybe he was some, a lot of it, he was right. Some of it, he was wrong. But, but by golly, he never gave up till his dying day. That guy was always trying something, he was always investigating, always experimenting. So he had the curiosity. But that's not all he had. Okay, in addition to being a sound recordist, a musician, and a few other things, you're also a novelist. Tell me about Sacred Mounds. I read it, and I loved it, and I'd love to hear more about the story behind it. In your emails, had this quote that just knocked me flat from E.O. Wilson. Do you have it handy? Would you mind reading it? I'd be happy to. May I now humbly ask, just where do we think we're going, really? I believe the great majority of people on earth would agree with the following goals. An indefinitely long and healthy life for all, abundant sustainable resources, personal freedom, adventure both virtual and real on demand, status, dignity, membership in one or more respectable groups, obedience to wise rulers and laws, and lots of sex with or without reproduction. There is a problem, however. These are also the goals of your family dog. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, Ed. 
Wilson, and thank you for reading it. Here we are in this situation, having heard that quote, but the next question in your mind, in my mind, is, okay, he's right, <laughs> but why? So why why am I here? If uh, is it true that I'm just no better than the than the family dog, or is there something else to aspire to? Maybe at some point in each of our lives, we come to a moment. It's one of those "what's it all about" moments, right? The book. Sacred Nouns was really written in response to that question. What is it all about? Why are we here? I was hoping to find a metaphor that could feed this question. The metaphor that I found, or that found me, were these ancient earthworks, these mounds. Not all of them were burial mounds. They were ceremonial. These are the flat-top mounds. The, the, the ones that occur, those tended to be burial mounds. But the ceremonial mounds, we don't really know why we were there. There's a lot of the, uh, the history of the Nachi people. They were the predominant uh, culture until they were almost obliterated by the French pre-colonial times and then sent off by Andrew Jackson and many other tribes along the Trail of Tears, now living in Oklahoma. But at that time, they were the last known tribe to inhabit and interact with the mounds. So I spent time with them and the principal chief of the Nachi nation ended up writing the, uh, the forward to my book. And I learned a lot from Hutke Fields, wonderful human being, and learned a lot from studying the Nachi. But it also left room in this uh, work, this, this creative work of fiction, for this possibility that is an invention in one part, Invention in resonance with a spiritual practice of, of listening. In the book, there's something called the listening. And what they're listening to are not uh, birds and trees, but something far more subtle than that. They're listening to a vibration that perhaps is with us all the time that we have to become attuned to by finding a quiet, very quiet place in ourselves. But in becoming quiet and in in the act of listening, we find that our state changes, that we, the listener, become receptive in a way that perhaps changes our perception of the world. So it presents human beings in the middle of something that's much higher and finer than we are, and something that is, in a sense, maybe coarser and denser than we are, the earth itself. And here we are as this kind of membrane between something finer and something coarser. This vibration needs to transmute through us, through this act of listening, and be transmitted to the earth. It addresses the question of why, we're, why human beings are on the planet in a way that helps serve the planet. And yes, we need to avoid the production of greenhouse gases. Yes, we need to recycle Yes, we need to do all the things that good stewards do, but maybe there's something more. And the novel was written in the service of attempting to approach that unanswerable question. Okay, Jim, before we go, tell us a little bit about Pulse of the Planet. It's a daily program. I still do new programs now more than ever with the proliferation of quote-unquote fake news, what's real, what's not. This program was created to be not the, the heart attack of the planet, but the fact that there is something else going on every day, every moment that's worthy of our attention as human beings that doesn't have to do with violence, fear, death, uh, greed. My friend, Jim Metzner. Thank you, Jim. 
There are so many ways people can learn more about you. Your albums and your book, Sacred Mounds, are on Amazon. Your website, jimmetzner.com, has lots of information. And of course, people can listen to Pulse of the Planet, presented by the National Science Foundation, which airs every day on more than 250 radio stations around the world, or they can just search for it online. This is the Natural Curiosity Project. Thank you for listening. We'll end with one of Jim's soundscapes. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode.